The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shades thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It is Friday, September 22nd, and today is National Elephant Appreciation Day, National States and Capitals Day, National Gentlemen, or excuse me, Centarians Day, National Girls' Night, Car Free Day, National Ice Cream Cone Day, National White Chocolate Day, National Brave Day, Hobbit Day, National Longwear Day, American Business and Women's Day, and Dear Diary and National Online Recovery Day. Geez, I feel like I need a recovery after all of those days today. But thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube. And we are now also streaming onto Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and Rumble. So thank you to everyone joining us on from those audiences as well. And uh, I'm going to kick off the story today. Gretchen's going to be in a little bit later. She's running around, and uh, we're still waiting on Yarrow to show up too, apparently. But nonetheless, we do have the two doctors in the room. One's in the lab, and one's, <laughs> one's in the real doctor's office. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But nonetheless, I'm going to kick off with, uh, with, with one of my stories today. I have two of them for you guys, so let me know what you guys think about this. But... Uh, Let's see. And this, this, since I have the doctors in the room, this, this, this should be pretty good because we covered a story yesterday about New York and how a majority of all the cannabis in New York on the shelves is all contaminated. And I have a similar story today because apparently all that mold and pollen that's in New York is apparently getting, uh, getting blown around by the wind all the way to Maine because almost half of Maine's medical marijuana may contain mold and pesticides, they say. Two studies have found contaminants in a high percentage of medical cannabis samples in Maine. Vern Mollock of the state's Office of Cannabis Policy said 127 samples were tested recently and 45% failed for yeast, mold, and pesticides. In a quote, it says, it's alarming because uh, A, that it's so high, Mollock said. And B, I think it's alarming because folks don't know and I think folks assume that what they're buying from a regulated market 
is tested and f- is free of contamination like this, and it's simply not the case, he says. Another study by Nova Analytics Lab found 20% of 1,400 samples failed for pesticides. Lab officials said the actual rate is likely higher because uh, the testing was voluntary. And unlike the, the state's adult use market, there is no mandated, mandated, mandated testing for medical cannabis. Officials with Maine's Office of Cannabis Policy said the leg- legislature should give them the authority to require testing and tracking they say so it sounds like more regulation is going to be coming down the pipeline for all of our friends over there in maine but uh that's that's pretty much the story it's short and sweet and i'm going to turn it over to these doctors in the room to see what they happen to think about this what do you guys think all this contaminated Uh, weed well it's it's more than testing, right? It, it's it's whether the testing shows that the product is dangerous, you know, public health concerns because everything has mold mm-hmm. on it. We have mold, on. so and it's just really about. I was gonna say. Go I was gonna say because p- penicillin is still mold, correct, Doctor Talleyrand? It's it's a product of mold. There we go. There we go. It's a product of mold. So we got we got right, but we, it's made synthetically in the lab now. It's not not made from mold. Interesting, interesting. Actually, they use bacteria to make it. I think. Oh, oh. do they still? I know there are a bunch of drugs that are that they use bacteria to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's a more efficient than than the chemical synthesis. So this is like really alarming because if there's anyone that needs you know, pesticide-free and microbe-free cannabis. It's medical patients. Why would they allow medical program with no testing, but they have a recreational program where they have testing that's required, you know, heavy metals and microbes and solvents and whatnot. It seems like the medical patients should have those safeguards as well. So that just doesn't make sense at all. But Dr. Talleyrand is absolutely right. We live in a microbial world, man. I mean, there's microbes everywhere. And I feel like we need even where they even where they're not supposed to exist, they exist. So, you know, there's no stretch that they're on cannabis. They're probably on food we eat. Like Dr. Talleyrand said, his question is, is do they represent a hazard? Um, If these folks are using pesticides to knock molds down that tells you that they're treating the symptom and not the cause right because they're growing practices or techniques or such that they're letting a hefty spore load get into their growth and they're getting pm so what do they do they don't want to not be able to sell that herb that they're producing that they're costing them a lot of money so they mm-hmm. they 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 pray and they spray or maybe they they spray and then they pray. I think they, they, I, I think they, they, they spray and then pray. That's that, 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 that would be my, that, that, that would, well, what I would do, but I, I feel yeah, like, so you, I feel you're, like you're, you're hoping that the, the, the level of contamination is going to be low enough and it's going to overcome the colonization of your plants with these, with these molds and mildews, which are also going to hit cannabinoid production. So moldy plants, or plants that are infected with PM will have lower levels of THC and 
all the other cannabinoids and terpenes as well. Mm-hmm. I, you know how you said we're living in a macro world. I feel like we need to do a remake, like a public education, yeah, public education campaign to educate the general public. And I feel like we need to do a remake of the No Doubt song, I'm Just a Girl, and just re- redo that to I'm Just a Girl Living in a Microbial World and uh, come up with a little science twist to help educate the general public on that, Dr. Mark. Yeah, I mean, it's keep these spores out of out of grows it's difficult to keep them out of packaging operations you know we we walk around this operation with hair nets and beard nets mm-hmm. and i have to put booties on my shoes we just try to do everything we possibly can to minimize any kind of contamination products intended for human consumption that's it you were about to say something dr Talleyrand? We we need to, the regulators need to be proactive rather than reactive. Mm-hmm. Meaning they should be doing studies to understand what the best standards are, um, and perhaps there are studies already to give us some clues around this uh, from previous uh, from other products. But cannabis is relatively new. I mean, we're just taking it out of the you know illegal market and regulating it. So we've got a lot to learn and. Um, rather than to make rules that don't make sense, uh, uh, let's create standards based on science. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, you know, like, and, and it, it baffles me. I, I'm agreeing with you guys as far as like, why do we have such stringent testing on adult use cannabis, but not on medical cannabis? Um, because I would feel that the the onerous of barrier should, should be higher in the medical field if we're calling it a medicine and treating sick people with it. But, uh, you know, I, I just... I. It, it, it just baffles me because the, the similar situation is a story that I covered yesterday about New York where they are not, uh, they have pulled all of the mold and bacteria um, testing in regards to because none of the product will pass it. And so therefore they would have no product on the shelf if they still had those testing rules in place. Exactly. So that's a standard problem, right? They, well, their I standards think, I think, may have been too high. I think, I think it's a regulatory problem because they only allowed for outdoor weed to be cultivated, and they didn't allow for anyone to actually have a controlled environment for indoor cannabis production. And so, therefore, they they are contaminating their supply chain by only allowing for that type of, of cultivation. That seems a bit backwards, right? Uh, wh- why does it seem backwards? That they're only allowing uh, uh, outdoor cultivation and not indoor cultivation. I, I agree I mean, with you, you would Dr. Think T. That there would be more, especially in the Northeast where it snows half the year. You would think that they would want to have some indoor cultivation, but I, from my understanding, I know that the New York power grid is extremely strained, and I, and I feel like if they had large scale grows on it, I feel like that was just going to be the icing on the cha- on the cake to just uh, shut the whole power grid down. Or they need to rely on California. Oh man, you rely on California for anything. <laughs> I feel sorry for you. <laughs> oh man. Oh, there he is. There's Yarrow. It's so nice of you to join us today, Yarrow. Oh, I am I am so sorry. It's gonna be all right, bro. It's, it's Friday. Right, bro. It's Friday, Yarrow. You know what I mean? Tomorrow's Saturday. You get to sleep in tomorrow, not today, okay? Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Any, any other thoughts on these doctors on, on all this uh, contaminated product in Maine or anything? Because, you know, Maine is supposed to have some of the best weed on the East Coast. Well, I, I just want to say what, what is intuitively obvious. 
but maybe not well known, which is there are no fungicides approved for use on cannabis by the fungicide manufacturers. States have patchworked, you know, lists together, but I mean, there are no approved chemical treatments for insecticides, fungicides, herbicides, miticides for cannabis. You can't apply any of these things. And really, truly, cannabis shouldn't need to have any of these things applied to it. None of those things are lawful to apply, according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. In order for those to be applied to cannabis lawfully, the company that basically registers the active ingredient would have to do a safety, efficacy, and environmental fate study of that active ingredient to show that that active ingredient, when applied according to directions, is capable of controlling the pathogen while posing no threat to the environment or to human uh, consumption. That simply just hasn't been done for anything applied to cannabis. And until something like that is done by a company that owns a registration for one of those active ingredients, this is all, as our good friend would say, pissing up a rope. <laughs> oh, man, man. I'm, I'm wondering if this is a, an effect of... Uh, of large grows versus smaller grows if if their their standards off because large grows are not as controlling the product as much as smaller oh yeah because they don't have as many hands to tend to the plant basically what you're saying dr t is right harder just, to yeah i mean control that result exactly it, it, it definitely is and when you when you have an outbreak of powder mold or something like that and uh you have these massive grows it does just it does. It's just like wildfire. It just spreads and spreads and spreads. So I, I do understand exactly what you're saying about that. That does make a lot of sense and could be a variable uh, factor in this equation as well. All right. Seeing as that, we're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. Oh, yes. Coming up next, we're going to go roll right into Dr. Talleyrand. He's the man with the plan. He's the one who probably wrote your parents' recommendation because he has been around that long. Yes, he has. He's the founder of Medican and the CESC. Did I get that right, Dr. T? The CESC? You did. Thanks. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And <laughs> we're glad we're glad he's back with us this week because he had, he had a little surgery last week, and he's back with us, ready to rock and roll. That's right. It is none other than the me, Mr. Dr. Gene Talleyrand. Happy Friday, everyone. Thanks, Jason. Uh, let's see. So my headline today is a press release in Yahoo Finance. MMJ International Holdings submits FDA responses for cannabis gel capsule approval. MMJ International Holdings announces that it has submitted to the U.S. FDA its requested cannabis formulation responses for the agency's review. MMJ has created a gel capsule made from cannabis extracts intended for people with Huntington's disease and multiple sclerosis. 
These neurological disorders cause muscle spasms and jerks, which progress to both physical and mental deterioration and early death. Uh, MMJ was initially issued a DEA analytical lab registration for Schedule I drugs. With the DEA's approval, MMJ become, became one of the few federally legal labs dedicated to cannabis extraction, research, and development. The approval allows MMJ to manufacture, transport, import, and export cannabis to other DEA or international registrants. However, MMJ is yet to get permission to cultivate cannabis in the U.S., having to import it from Canada. MMJ recently sued the DEA, alleg alleging a two-year delay in the application process to cultivate. They applied in June of 2021. After a six-month inspection, the DEA diversion investigator informed MMJ that would, they would write up the report and submit it to their supervisor. After numerous attempts to follow up, MMJ is still uncertain of the status of their application. The lawsuit alleges that when asked, DEA personnel responded, why do you want to know? And we'll get to it when we get to it. Despite the DEA delay, MMJ was able to submit their new drug to the FDA. However, they ran into another hurdle. The FDA notified MMJ that there was a chemistry manufacturing and control issue, which required further research. Chief Science Officer Dr. Elio Mariani responded today, stating, MMJ believes that the responses submitted to the FDA today fully addresses the CMC questions pertaining to its all-natural soft gel capsule of THC and CBD for use in clinical trials. MMJ Chairman Tim Moynihan states, MMJ has accomplished many milestones, which positions it as a leader in the cannabis pharmaceutical development arena, this being the most significant because safe, reproducible cannabis medicine is needed to set the standard for reproducible results. Recently speaking at the Benzinga Cannabis Forum, Dwayne Boise, the uh, company's president, mentioned that as federal legalization of the state-to-state state recreational and medicinal cannabis businesses is not at, imminent, MMJ's strategy of pharmaceutical drug development and clinical trials would show itself as the new Cannabis 3.0. If you're wondering who would benefit from delayed federal legalization, you might look in the direction of MMJ International Holdings. However, their goal to develop a standard cannabis-based drug is not unique. GW Pharmaceuticals created Sativex and Epidiolex and is now owned by the Palo Alto-based Jazz Pharmaceuticals. Epidiolex sales were over $200 million in the second quarter of 2023, an increase of 15% year over year. GW and MMJ did not require rescheduling to produce their cannabis-based drugs, just time and money. The good news is that if you are or a loved one are, are sick and don't have insurance or money to afford these pharmaceutical drugs, you can go down to your local dispensary and with the guidance of a medical cannabis professional, pick up some gummies or tinctures. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand with Hyatt 9 News. Doctors, Dr. T, I, I mean, 
this is very very interesting this the, the, this cannabis capsule i mean um did did, did marinol go through the similar process uh marinol is synthetic thc so this is actual uh, real thc this is extracted thc exactly but they all go through a similar process Mar uh, this might be going through a faster process because I believe they applied for orphan drug status, which tends to happen faster than regular drug development. But regular drug development takes 15, 20 years. So maybe this will take 10 years, just similar to GW's uh, uh, um, uh, Sativex and Epidolics. They, they, were also, they also applied for orphan drug status. So, so, so you're saying that that in reality, if this was to if this was to move forward, it wouldn't hit the market for over ten years. Likely, yeah. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's why that's why the dispensaries have a leg up. They're currently selling products right now, mm -hmm. and the only problem is that they're not uh, as as the uh, chairman pointed out. They're they're not uh, reproducible, meaning you know one batch is a little bit different than the next batch. Interesting. So uh, an, another quick question, Dr. Talleyrand, if cannabis was moved, and this is for you too, Dr. Mark, cannabis was moved to Schedule 3, wouldn't the, uh, wouldn't the FDA be able to uh, claim a drug preclusion in regards with this since they would have a FDA-permitted form of actual uh, THC? Ask that again in a different way. Uh, so, so, so basically, so let, let, let's assume that cannabis gets moved to Schedule Three. Let's just assume assume that that happens for the sake of this question, and then at that point, and with 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 this drug, let's just say it moves forward through the FDA process, and they get they gain an approval. At that point in time, wouldn't they be able to claim drug preclusion on actual THC? You mean because it was uh, already submitted as. Because it and and it being FDA approved and therefore also too since it'd be Schedule Three FDA would have jurisdiction on all Schedule Three drugs and so why wouldn't there be drug preclusion since there is a certified FDA medicine for THC? Well, this I mean this drug is different because it's a combination of THC and CBD, um, more similar to Sativex is my guess than than just straight THC. So you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't call it full spectrum then? No, probably not. Because okay. if, if they added all these other, yeah, additives, they probably took everything away and just put THC and CBD in there. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you, it's what hard do you to concentrate on this story when I'm seeing so much thigh in the lab, Dr. Mark. I mean, you know, what is that you're wearing over there? I do not know. I don't know how that does. Well, I mean, I see that, right, Jerry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thigh, I don't know. It's got his laboratory approved ISO 17,000 uh, mankini over there. It's, mm -hmm. it's a little Acting. I mean, you know, it's interesting. First of all, I'm gonna be a benzene drug. I hope I see this guy, the president of this company. I'm willing to be part of their preclinical R&D uh, test case. I'll chomp some capsules and take a heroic dose and see what we can do in Chi Town with this thing. Um, you know, the thing for me is, um, I don't know why every other article that we cover on this show is about somebody suing somebody and somebody suing somebody else and somebody suing somebody. It's uh, it you know, and and on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, sue the DEA, zoom, 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 and on the other hand, I'm like, oh, you had to wait two years. Well, welcome to regulated cannabis. 
I mean, if every social equity applicant waiting to get a permit sued because they'd crossed the two-year threshold, we wouldn't have any room in any of the civil courts in the United States. So I'm a little conflicted. Uh, I'd like to see the regulatory process go a lot quicker. I recognize the cost of that time value, right? Not getting your oar in the water, not being able to run your business, not being able to get further along in the, in the scientific process. And two years is, I mean, in, in regulated cannabis, that's like they'll barely review your app. Sorry, mm -hmm. talk to anybody who's got a permit in Mendocino trying to get a, per, a go from a provisional to an annual. Yeah, very. These guys are probably don't want uh, the uh, legal or recreational market to move forward. I mean, this is a, a race, right? Yeah, because why, why you have they? a choice. That, that that's right. exactly why I bring up the the, the drug preclusion uh, component, especially with that, because uh, it would be very easy for the FDA to say that this is the only form of THC that's able to be sold on any shelf. And therefore, every dispensary is out of business or being forced to only offer this one sole product. But Jason, the FDA is saying that now, and they can't get the dispensary. Yeah, but it's stop, but it's so. but it's a schedule it's a schedule one drug, so they don't they don't have enforcement over it. So running, yeah. running clinical trials to tell the world what we already know about cannabis is foolish and a waste of money. Okay. So running clinical trials on the other side of those clinical trials gives you the ability to make medical claims because you've now taken it through the clinical trial process. But you're right. It's a fool's errand to take a public composition like CBD or THC through the FDA approval process because they don't have a patent on the active ingredient so they can't sit down on the rest of the industry, which means they're going to dig themselves a huge cash hole with those clinical trials that they'll never recover. This is nothing but a scam to get money from investors who are hot that this is gonna somehow be the future of cannabis. It's not, people. You can't patent THC and CBD. So taking it through clinical trials is not only stupid, we have already know that this is already effective and they need to figure out a different mechanism for botanical active ingredients to incorporate that into the modern pharmacopoeia. It's not through single active ingredient clinical trials, which is what the FDA is programmed for. So this is just all spin and bullshit. Move on to the next story, please. <laughs> <laughs> With a mic drop right there, Dr. Mark. Oh, man. I wonder, I wonder if Show we should just... Oh, look, look, look. Are you naked? Because I'm like, going to come without pants I feel next like, Friday. I, uh, I won't be late, but I'll be without pants. I feel like, I'm making I'm making nano motions, man. I'm doing a real. real You're like, girl, oh, let's do some boy. work. Man, we got some real science going on today. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love that, Dr. Mark. That, that makes a lot of sense. So this is basically just a, a pump and dump right now. They're going to try to raise all kinds of money off of this story and yeah. the press release and da 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 and be like, oh, I mean, we're the Jason, best thing since sliced bread. Jason, if, if Jazz Pharmaceuticals used to be GW can sit down on the rest of the CBD industry, those market shares for Epidiolex would be huge. But we all know that I can go buy a CBD tincture for about 20 or 30 bucks down the road here, but Epidiolex costs thousands of dollars paid mm -hmm. for by drug insurance, bought for at a drug store. It's all about drugs. 
Cannabis is not a drug. It's a medicated herb and it needs to be regulated as such. Jesus Christ, there is no play for big pharma with medicated herbs, period. But Dr. Mark, you got to point to the evidence. I mean, money speaks and, you know, 15% growth from last quarter this time to this quarter this time is is real money. $200 million in the you're, you're quarter talking is about, money. You're talking about Epidiolex? Correct. Yeah. Well, I, I know people who can't afford that medicine, but they take yeah. CBD oil and get the same re- relief without having to pay for some FDA approved Epidiolex bullshit. Look, man, if you want CBD or you want THC, there's plenty of places to go get those. We don't need those to be put through FDA trials, period. I have to say, though, you know, I did have a patient who uh, we were using the oil and because the growers weren't uh, consistent, she would, the seizures would come back until eventually we had to go to to Epidiolex. uh, And that's what she's on right now. Um, So, you know, maybe the oil was even more efficacious, but it wasn't consistent. And so that's something that the industry has to has to consider well there there aren't there just aren't quality control measures and not the proper regulatory oversight on the cbd end of the of the cannabis industry and until that is more tightly regulated and there's gmp production throughout the supply chain you're going to see variation like that but needless to say there is good cbd oil that's out there you just have to you know hook up with the supply chaining and find it Mm -hmm. yeah and just as an aside, totally pro tip, Dr. Mark, and certainly I'm not trying to tell you how to run the science part, but when when you are without pants and and, and you're viewable <laughs> to, to, to the to the to the constituents who do tune in to High at Nine News on a Friday morning, I just want just pro tip, never be without pants and be mentioning the word nano, okay? Maybe macro, <laughs> maybe but never nano, okay? Just it's not it's not good optics, oh, right? Like, boy. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Vocabulary when you're not wearing pants. Never nano. Oh Never man. nano. Never micro. The micro never, is okay. Yes. No, no, no. Anytime you're talking microns, you want to have your pants on, okay? It's oh just, boy! It's just, it's just it is. keep the keep your pants on. Keep your pants on there, Yarrow, because you're next. That's right. Coming up next is Mr. Yarrow Kubrin. He is a real estate investor, a cannabis investor, and a cannabis real estate investor from Florida. <laughs> now he's from Sonoma County. That's right. It is none other than Mr. Yarrow Kubrin. So, you know, this is painful for me, right? On the one hand, uh, you know, I see that the intro to me as the newest guy or one of the newest guys is still more of like a hazing than an introduction. On the other hand, that that intro was so bad. Maybe I'm going to be later for the next one. And then I'm also now understanding the value of Rico because at least he got a little bit more of that hypey radio announcer vibe voice oh, thing cute, going on. Cute, cute. But I'm, um, I'm glad. I'm, I but, love but, the commentary. Yeah, but I'm here. I'm here. And that's what matters. Right. So uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my <laughs> my article today on Hyatt Nine News is about the Minnesota governor tapping a marijuana consultant to lead the Office of Cannabis Management, and I hope I hope I make up for my tardiness by in, in interjecting and adding in my own one and a half cents into this article as I read it. Uh, I'm thoroughly prepared to at least attempt to be dad grade joke funny on this one. 
So Minnesota governor taps marijuana consultant to lead Office of Cannabis Management. Governor Tim Waltz has named Aaron Dupree, a cannabis industry consultant who until recently ran an edible dispensary in Apple Valley, as the first leader of the state agency tasked with regulating the nascent marijuana industry. With direct experience in Minnesota's hemp and cannabis industry and over 20 years of success in launching, managing, and growing businesses and organizations, Aaron Dupree is an outstanding choice to lead the Office of Cannabis Management, while said in a press release announcing the appointment. In a conference call with reporters, Dupree said her background in business as opposed to government means she's not bringing any baggage to the position and that she's ready to work with anybody. It, baggage might mean experience or skill set. No, it's baggage. It's baggage. Never mind. Um, <laughs> she added that her consulting specialty has been assisting startups in Minnesota and other states that have legalized cannabis, which she believes will translate well to the work of getting a new industry on its feet. Aaron emerged as a leading candidate as we considered a wide range of qualified individuals for this important new leadership role, said Charlene Briner, who led the search for a new pot czar as the interim director of the Office of Cannabis Management. So here's one thing I just gotta, I gotta digress. Not only are pants optional in a laboratory setting, but I really, really encourage government to get rid of the word czar when it comes to appointments, especially in cannabis. Like, I do not understand that. I mean, we are not in like 1800s Russia. We're not wearing beaver hats. Like, I'm not riding a, a horse. I don't know why anybody would want to be a czar. I mean, kingpin maybe if you're going to throw a legacy term in there. Czar, eh, not so much. I would not rock so a much. beaver hat. I would rock a beaver hat. And, and for you, my friend, after my 100th show, I'm going to get a faux beaver so no beavers were injured. I'll get you a faux beaver hat that you can uh, wear. No, no, no. I only, I, only wear, I only wear real animals. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm, then I'm going to get you a live beaver so, so that we didn't have to kill one. <laughs> I'm with it. That would be awesome. Wearing it as a hat and then giving it to Mark to cover up a little bit when he's on high at high news. But anyway, um, I'm not saying that you have a beaver. I'm saying I will get you a beaver. There's a difference. I'm not gender shaming. Anyway, back to the article. So, in her post on LinkedIn, Dupree wrote that the cannabis has helped her regulate pain, reduce inflammation, and help me get the rest of my autoimmune disease, and help me get the rest my autoimmune disease was stealing. In addition to consulting work, she also recently founded and ran the Lunacy Hemp Products Dispensary in Apple Valley. Debris said that her first order business would be to hire staff for the 150 new government positions the agency will require. Already, the office has received 250 applications for seven key managerial positions announced last week. She told reporters she's confident the agency will be able to approve the first non-tribal adult use dispensary in 2025, as the experience of other legal states means we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Our first official day on the job will be October 1st. So let me kick this off for y'all for a quick second. So I love that she talked about not reinventing the wheel. And unfortunately, I've seen that in other exciting markets, New York and, and places like that where we weren't going to reinvent the wheel. But here's what came to me as I was posting this article. And it's it's fundamentally almost changing my political worldview as I think about it. I got goosebumps just saying it. For so long, as somebody who sees themselves as a centrist or left of centrist individual, we I have lamented 
the fact that many industries have a revolving door between those industries and the government agencies that regulate those industries. The number of times I've personally heard these cliches, especially when it comes to big ag or corporations or the petrochemical industry and watching people from within those industries rotate into government service and then rotate out. And the consensus among the people that I would hang out with was that there was something inherently wrong with that and that there was something too cozy about people who worked in industries becoming government regulators. And now for me, the shoe's on the other foot. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's pretty nice that these people are hiring somebody who has industry experience, that maybe we have a better chance of sensible execution of regulation by somebody who spent a day doing something more than just studying public administration at their favorite college. And so I'm, I'm a changed man. I'm a changed man. The, the idea that somebody would come from an industry and help government to more sensibly regulate that industry is kind of a little exciting for me. Um, and it also, what I really appreciated about this hire, aside from the fact that she's a woman, because we need a more equal opportunity for uh, all constituents, was that there were um, massive requirements for this position that heavily favored somebody who came from government service. And I didn't read that part because it was a little drier and boring. But the idea that some of those, those things weren't, part of her qualifications and that they were willing to look past those sort of basic building blocks. Oh, you don't have eight years running a government program and that they hire her anyway. I'm a little optimistic. I'm thinking that this lady has a good or better than average chance of going in there with a fresh set of eyes from an operator and entrepreneur's perspective and doing right by this program. This is Yaro Kubrin, Hyatt 9 News, Friday morning. You, you know, Yaro, you started to say how you were having some political shifts and whatnot. And you do know that today, or you would know if you were here on time today, you would know that today is National Elephant Appreciation Day. Well, I'm happy for that because we were hearing all this micro conversation and like, I'm, I, yes, elephants, that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, uh, let's, let's keep our trunks where they deserve to be. Um, and, and, and I just, fundamentally, I just, uh, I've always thought that there was something wrong with industry and government having a close working relationship because from afar, being underinformed and slightly ignorant, I'm not talking about myself, yes, I am, that um, that I thought there was something wrong with that. And as I've now become a, a part of an industry that has suffered from government regulation, uh, I, I'm starting to see the benefit of government being able to acknowledge, hey, we don't understand what we're doing here. Maybe we should get some people who do. So you have evolved on this issue. Yeah, yeah, it's changed my mm -hmm. politics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Look, look, look at that. Yo, well, the I'm answer, Yaro, is somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. You know, you want a regulators who understand how to regulate because it in itself is difficult, but you also absolutely want experience in the industry. Um, so both are necessary. Yeah, so and I think this will be an interesting one. If I haven't gotten 86 off of participating in this show by next year, and don't worry, Jason, I'm trying my best. Yeah, but we, we just keep your pants on. Yeah, keep your pants on, Yaro. Hey, you're taking half the fun out of this. Next time I'm coming with my chaps. And so if, if I haven't gotten <laughs> 86, I think this is one of those 
those articles that we bookmark and we circle back in a year and we see how they're doing and we see if this notion of doing it better and learning from the other states that have come before finally gets done in a way that makes a lot of sense because I've heard that before. I'm optimistic. I'm a sucker. I'm ready for some iteration, some modification, some adaptation, and some change based on what did and didn't work in other states that rolled out their programs. I've heard this before, but I'm super optimistic. And I think if anybody can do it, it's a woman who's from the industry, who actually has some operator experience, even if it's just retail and not cultivation. Sorry, I come from a cultivation background. And I think she'll probably do a better than average job. And hopefully she's willing to shake it up and not not do things the way they were done just because that's the way they were done. Oh, boy. I mean. Hopefully she smokes <laughs> weed. When you get non-weed smokers in the C-suites of these companies. It, you're right. You're right. So right about that, Dr. Mark. People that aren't really touching the plant, touching the plant, so to say, right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, all you non-weed smokers. Yeah, I'll, I, I'm with you on that. The cannabis companies that are operated by cannabis consumers that are cannabis companies I have seen tend to run better than those that uh, tend to say, oh, no, I would never touch that stuff. I mean, I don't want everybody touching my plant, only with consent, of course, and it depends on which stock. But I, I do think there's something to be said for understanding and interacting with the plant as a human being and having that first person reference point. I don't need somebody who's doing dabs every morning just to show that they are a heavy consumer. Um, but I think that that applies to most. That sounds like discrimination, hey, you know, Yarl. That sounds that, like discrimination. That's why I was like, that sounds like discrimination right there. Okay, I'm just letting you know that's that's what discrimination looks like right there. But 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 I I think that I think that if we look at most industries, you know, if you never sipped wine, how would you regulate it? If you didn't eat food, you probably shouldn't be in the restaurant business. Don't go I to a restaurant really take, take, yeah, you know. I have to take a bunch of dabs to get to where you are straight. See? First See, of look all, at nobody that. said look I'm straight, okay? You my pronouns, bro. Whoa, 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 and whoa. We got to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Relying on 25 years of commercial hydroponic experience, King Solomon Nutrients has engineered the best liquid and dry fertilizer products for cannabis that preserves the crop, the soil, and the environment. Through relentless passion, research, and innovation, King Solomon has developed simplified cannabis crop nutrition you can trust. It was created for farmers by farmers. Don't mess around. Try the crown. Okay. Yeah, I'm... we got to we got to keep it rolling. We are going to roll right in to Dr. Mark Scalione. Did I say this right? Scalione? Scaldone, Scaldone. Sheldon, Sheldon. You're on I think you're on mute. Dr. Mark. Italian green onion. Yes, Dr. Chaldone, Mark. Sheldone. if you want to Chaldone. say it like an Italian. Dr. Mark Sheldoni from the great state of Vermont, the Green Mountain state. He's over there at Lake Champlain just playing with chemicals, you know what I mean, making stuff. Who knows what he's actually making over there today, you guys. You never know. But thank goodness he is in explosion-proof room because he is about to drop a bomb on all of you guys today. That's right. It is Dr. 
Mark Sheldon. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Okay, my story today comes from the Hemp Today, and it shows a very interesting picture along with this article with um, all kinds of Doritos and Lifesavers and Skittles and uh, gummy bears, and uh, underneath the caption reads, Delta 8 producers entice kids with brands and packaging that mimic popular treats. The title of the article is State Regulators Call on Feds to Close the Loophole that Opened the Floodgates for Our Favorite THC Isomer Delta 8. This is from Hemp Today, and it was published September 20th. Okay, so cannabis regulators from 45 states have called on U.S. Congress to define hemp as a crop grown exclusively for industrial and agricultural purposes to close loopholes that have allowed for unsafe synthetic THC products to proliferate. In a letter sent last week to agricultural committees in the Senate and the House of Representatives, the Cannabis Regulators Association, or CANRA, urged the changes be made included in the 2023 Farm Bill expected to be passed by the end of this year. The changes would shore up language in the 2018 Farm Bill, which legalized hemp federally, but didn't account for synthetic THC products derived from hemp-derived THC. <clears throat> The Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, AKA the 2018 Farm Bill, was drafted with a focus on agricultural commodities and non-intoxicating hemp products. However, the language of the bill has inadvertently resulted in a thriving market for intoxicating cannabinoid products that are included or claimed to be included within the definition of hemp, the letter observes. As the market for CBD extracts booms and then crashed quickly in the wake of the 2018 Farm Bill passage, shady producers found a market for hemp-derived CBD among makers of Delta-8 and other high-producing formulations, which quickly proliferated, pr proliferated and <clears throat> are widely available at common retail outlets. Other than uh, often in packaging, that mimic leading brands of candy or other treats targeted to children. In the absence of federal clarity, regulation over finished cannabinoid products, state and territorial governments have been left to implement approaches to protect consumers, Canra said in the letter. These approaches vary and are generally different across jurisdictions creating a regulatory patchwork for hemp-derived products. Additionally, enforcement of state-based regulations by state agencies is difficult when hemp-derived products are produced out of state and shipped directly to con consumers across state lines through the mail. For these reasons, federal regulatory engagement is warranted, the association said. The letter also suggested the bill should be more clearly to address hemp-derived THCA in the context of hemp. 
THCA is the precursor to Delta 9 THC and can be converted to a synthetic form of Delta 9 THC, uh, the more common form of THC that naturally occurs in marijuana plants. That statement is factually incorrect. I'll keep reading. When heated or combusted or aerosolized, the state cannabis programs define THC in terms of the THC plus THCA plus THC that's present in the plant. The regulators also said the federal agency should clarify whether synthetic cannabinoids are allowed under the definition of hemp-derived cannabinoids and give guidance on approved production and manufacturing processes. Suggested definitions, CANRA suggested the following definitions. Hemp, the term hemp means the plant cannabis sativa L or any part of the plant, whether growing or not, with a total tetrahydrocannabinol concentration of not more than 0.3% in the plant on a dry weight basis. The term hemp does not include viable seeds from cannabis sativa L plant if the plant exceeded the total THC concentration of 0.3% in the plant on a dry weight basis. Hemp-derived products. The term hemp-derived cannabinoid products means any hemp-derived cannabinoid, uh, a hemp-derived product that is not in the raw plant and is extracted, derived, infused, processed, or manufactured that contains cannabinoids in any form intended for human consumption or inhalation, including but not limited to combusted, aerosolized, inhaled products, ingested products in any form, and topical products. Canra's response uh, or correspondence to Congress this month follows a letter the association sent by to key congressional committees back in July, which suggested a national framework be established for all hemp-based cannabinoids, including CBD and any downstream products made from CBD as, other, as well as other minor cannabinoids present in industrial hemp. And that's the story. So I just want to make a few points. So they, the, the, the Farm Bill does have to clarify that high THC hemp is not hemp at all. It's cannabis. And they just need to do that by saying that the uh, hemp has to be analyzed by a process that decarboxylates any cannabinoid acid so that the THCA there would be decarboxylated and turned into THC. So THCA is 87% by weight THC. So a high THCA containing variety is going to be high THC containing variety. And there's not going to be an ambiguity there. The other thing is that, and I've said this before on, on Hyatt 9, Delta 8 THC does not exist in hemp. Let me say that again, just so everybody hears it. Delta 8 THC does not naturally occur in hemp. Any Delta 8 THC, which is a minuscule amount, is an artifact of the measurement made on that plant material or on that distillate. Because Delta 9 is thermodynamically favored to go to Delta 8 if given the opportunity, it can easily happen. 
The plant does not make delta-8 configured cannabinoids. It only makes delta-9 configured cannabinoids, and it does so in an enzymatic way, so it's very, very specific and does not make, there is no natural source of delta-8 THC. There is no natural source of hexahydrocannabinol. These are man-made and synthetic. Delta-8 can be viewed as a degradation product because delta-9 is naturally occurring. And if given the opportunity, delta-9 will isomerize over to delta-8. So in that way, delta-8 is kind of like CBN. It's a degradation product. It's not made in the plant. But these delta-8 hustlers and, and their attorneys that shill for them have to desperately stick to the notion that Delta-8 naturally occurs in the plant and their process just magically concentrates it. Bullshit. Delta-8 is made by a synthetic reaction, not in a plant, but in a, in a laboratory like this or a, a reaction vessel. So those products are only made available through the ridiculousness of cannabis prohibition. If they get rid of cannabis prohibition and remove cannabis from the uh, uh, controlled dangerous substance and make it readily available, there won't be a market for Delta-8 and there won't be a market for HHC and all these other designer synthetics. This is Dr. Mark for Hyatt 9 News, interested on in what you guys have to say. Man, oh man, Dr. Mark, Delta-8 does not occur naturally in plants. Oh, oh boy. There's a lot of hempsters out there that are just, their minds are just exploding no. right now. I, I, they're going to they're gonna shank me on the way out of yeah. work tonight. Right? They, I mean, I mean, fortunately, you're like so far up north that like most of them won't travel that far. Well, and, and truth is, I mean, if, if people had access to high quality cannabis, there wouldn't be... This, there'd be this no synthetic need, yeah. cannabinoid. There'd be no need for delta market. If people... And Jason, what, what I think I had said this on a previous episode. What, what I found out from a friend of mine who sits on the um, uh, Colorado has actually got a, a a group of people who are very concerned about this, and so they got together this, a task force. And what he told me, based on the economics, is that that synthetic cannabinoid market is bigger than the combined cannabis markets all together yeah. so if you take all the individual cannabis mm -hmm. markets across the state and you look at the size of the synthetic cannabinoid market it dwarfs that yeah. or, or the the synthetic cannabinoid dwarf the so I agree yeah with that. this is something that they need to fix I, I i agree with that and yet and yet every all these states and municipalities want to boast all these crazy high numbers when they get all this tax revenue when they open up a marketplace and this and this and and oh yeah, we did such a great job, but yet that that number is actually dwarfed due to the fact that they are allowing all these synthetic uh, products on the market. Well, are they allowing those synthetic uh, products? Yeah, or, or I, 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 they're I said, trying to get rid of it. No, I, I mean, I mean, well, well, they haven't, no. they haven't, Doctor T, and wh whether or not they they make those proper edits that they need to in in, in this rendition of the farm bill is yet to be. Uh, uh, finalized in, in in that sense, I think that they want to and they are trying to, but but there's a big difference between wanting and trying to and actually having some concrete la language that actually has some regulatory teeth in place that 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 there will be some real enforcement and and steers that behavior somewhere else. It it simply was not the intent of Congress when they passed the Farm Bill in 2018. I agree with that. To enable production of intoxicating yep. 
cannabinoids. I believe, Jason, they didn't That's even true. fully even understand they the didn't. CBD opportunity. I believe, I believe they got snookered on fiber, seeds, oil, and rope. Mm-hmm. And, and that was sort of like the shiny object. Oh, yeah, farm bill. Okay, let's well, make well, rope out of well, hemp. Well, not only that, too, uh, Dr. Mark, but at that time, too, that was when we were putting a lot of money into repurposing all of our manufacturing facilities to bring jobs back here to America. And so that was hosted as one of the things to bring back American production jobs as well. And so. I mean, like you, they got caught with their pants down, right? Because the regulations don't make any sense and there's a wide open gap in, and, and people are taking advantage of that. You know, it's hard for me because... I Is think there only really a wide important. open gap because your pants are down? <laughs> I mean, this isn't... I, when we talk about this article and going down the rabbit hole, let's just make sure that's the orifice we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would go back even further and say that we made a mistake when we started distinguishing and saying marijuana versus hemp. That's not the way botanists look at it. They use a a THC CBD ratio to type it type one, type two, and type three. And that allows for ratio and not this absolute content. I mean, and plus marijuana is a slur slur word anyway. Yeah, and and, and I agree with you, Dr. Talleyrand. I'd really love to hear your and Dr. Mark's uh, uh, opinion on this because um, in the Controlled Substances Act, and the definition of the farm bill is used from the Controlled Substances Act as far as, as hemp as all cannabis, sativa L. Um, they both have the same definitions, whether it be cannabis or, or hemp. They all have the same definitions under the Controlled Substances Act. So how do they really get, get, get around that as trying to say that this is two different things? Yeah, I think they could just be a little more explicit around the fact that THC is in the form of THCA in the plant, you know? I mean, if you read the Code of Federal Regulations and you go down, they do require a a test that decarboxylates any cannabinoid acid and that the formula of adding the existing THC plus 0.877 times the THCA concentration is the correct way to determine the total THC in those in those plants. They mm-hmm. just need to be more explicit about this because they left it open. Yeah, people exploited it as a loophole. I, I, Dr. Mark, would you consider THCV as part of the total THC? Well, because it's um, not reported that way. No, no. THCV is a completely different molecule. And and he, here's the thing with THCV, John, is 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 that um, um, just the way that people are converting CBD into delta eight and delta nine THC, people are converting chemically CBDV, which there are high varieties for, and CBDV just like CBD is a white crystalline solid so they can get it, crystallize it, and then they're chemically converting CBDV into THCV. Now, when they first started with this chemical conversion, they weren't very good at their chemistry and they were pushing everything off what I call thermodynamic cliff and landing in Delta-8 land. They've figured out how to control the reaction kinetically and stop at Delta-9 because way that these things work is CBD kinetically first makes delta-9 and then under the reaction conditions it often isomerizes over to delta-8 but 
they've become more sophisticated in the chemistry that they can do and they could stop right at delta 9. So delta 9 THCV that's out there which sells for about $10,000 a kilogram as isolate mm -hmm. is made chemically from the chemical conversion of CBDV similar to the way that they're converting CBD. And uh, at first, all of those THCV products were all Delta-8 THCV. Now they're, they've been able to figure out how to control that to make Delta-9 THCV. John, I wanted to mention the other things too. The other odd cannabinoids like THCP and THCH and THCB, they're all claiming that those come from hemp. They don't come from hemp. Those are all derived synthetically. They don't occur naturally in cannabis at high enough levels to be able to extract them, but because people did the detective work, found that they exist in trace quantities, now people are making them and calling things like THCP, which has got a seven carbon side chain as opposed to THC, which has only got a five carbon, THCV has got a three carbon, right? So these are all sort of analogs in the same sort of molecular uh, class so to speak i mean when you get deep into the science i took my pants off while you were talking yes i'm like i'm fucking ready to play in the lab yes. slather me up with some purell and let's dance um no. i think for those of us who don't have as as ex as extensive a science background remember that i'm always using large words when i'm talking about you half naked okay um you don't have a robust and girthy science background um, you know, what's often difficult for the layperson is this use of this word synthetic, right? Because there is synthetic and then there's synthetically derived through, uh, you know, processes, manufacturing concentration processes. And that word is used interchangeably to the layperson. It's like, wait, is that synthetic or is that, you know, did it go through another extraction process synthetically derived in, 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 in a lab? I mean, the bottom line has always been the bottom line, which is there's these massive gaps in regulations. And instead of determining regulatory paradigms because of which uh, plant it came from, we should just have one for psychotropic uh, cannabinoids and non-psychotropic cannabinoids and leave it at that and make sure that there's supply chain safety for however a cannabinoid is produced. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll maintain that if cannabis prohibition is ended and they remove cannabis from the Controlled Dangerous Substance Act, this market for recreational synthetics is going to go away because people will have unfettered access to high quality yep. cannabis. That's yep. all they need. They don't need all this other bullshit. That's, that's all this other bullshit should be left for researchers like me in the lab to develop new medicines and take them through safety and efficacy. None of those things have been through safety or efficacy. We don't know if any of those odd synthetic cannabinoids, you know, are problematic in terms of chronic uh, impact on human health. We we just don't know. So there's a big experiment that these hemp hustlers are playing with the public right now. And and yeah, regulation needs to step in. It's time. No. And, and and to make it even safer, we should just allow those to be put in non medical device grade uh, vape products and 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 make sure that it's not age restricted either. Right? Like let's just experiment on the whole fucking population. Why don't we? I didn't want to be a grandparent anyway. They Let already, the kids run with. They, they they already did that. We, we they, they already did that already. We're uh, we're 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 past that point. But uh, Doctor Talleyrand, I have a quick question for you because we were having this discussion, I believe, on Wednesday with with, with Doctor Mark, 
And um, I want to know if if you feel as though that from a medical perspective that you could make this argument as expert witness in court that basically that all cannabis would have to be considered and classified as THCA due to the fact that it has not been burned yet. I'm not so, bending well, over and coughing. Don't get that glove in front of the screen. I'm not doing that today. Uh-uh. <laughs> isn't, so, it al- isn't it already classified as as THCA? That, what do you mean? That, that, that's what uh, I'm saying. So, so what I'm saying is that is that I, I I'm I'm willing to bet that people could start to now make the argument that if they're pulled over with with, with cannabis, that they could just say that that's THCA and that's legal in the farm bill, and because it hasn't been burned, um, they couldn't legally say that it was THC. Oh, I, I mean, I'm not a legal expert, but it's I just, I like just wanted, I just, I'm just that, asking. In your expert medical opinion, would you agree that it would be classified as THCA until it's actually smoked? Well, sure, uh, but it's kind of like saying uh, it's it's not alcohol if the bottle's not open. I mean, technically, uh, technically, you know, it's I still, think, it's still I mean, THC. I, I, I get that. So, so you're, you're, you're my, my, my answer. So, so, so we're good. We're good. I'm that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that, uh, that this, that this is great, great knowledge going on over here today, man. I have, I have one more story for you guys. I thought Gretchen was going to come in. She has, she, she has an interesting story too, but, um, you guys are gonna, you guys are gonna love this. Okay. A judge orders a Rhode Island grower to halt marijuana sales amid allegations. Man, a major marijuana grower in Rhode Island has been ordered to <clears throat> stop selling products with while regulators consider alleged violations by the company. Superior Court Judge Brian Stern rejected a request last week for injunctive relief by STJ, better known as Fire Ganja. STJ Uh, filed a motion seeking monetary relief and requesting that the court revoke and dissolve an administrative hold and quarantine of marijuana plants issued by the state according to the court records obtained by the Providence Business News. The company uh, could lose its license over allegations that it failed to disclose an owner and produce significant amounts of unregistered cannabis, both violations of state law which Warwick-based Fire Ganja is scheduled to discuss the matter at a regulatory hearing on November 30th, the Business News reported. And inspectors flagged the business on August 16th after discovering 1,473 cannabis plants and 1,507 ounces of flour, as well as other products that weren't entered into the state's track and trace system. Regulations also, or regulators also learned about a federal lawsuit pertaining to an ownership dispute dispute between Fire Garnja and a separate company, San Miguel. STJ and the Rhode Island Department of Business Regulations declined uh, declined Business News's request for a comment, and the developments came amid growing complaints from Rhode Island growers about a product oversupply triggered in part by a limited number of retailers. The state, which began adult use sales last December, has about 60 licensed cultivators, but only seven stores to sell their product man oh man oh man this this sounds pretty bad for this guy um i i i I, at first i'm 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 like just based off allegations but it sounds like they have some significant proof to, to to do this in regards with the uh 
with the ounces. Why, why would they have it packaged in ounces? I'm so confused. They should have that pa- packaged in pounds or kilos or something. But I don't know. What do you guys think? A thousand plant grow. I'm not a cultivator, but that seems like a lot to me, like uh, monoculture, problematic. Well, I mean, at the same time, too, uh, Dr. T, the one thing about having so many plants is what you always have to keep in mind is I know the number sounds big, but at the same time, they, they, they de- de- define a plant as anything with roots. So it is possible that, that, that they could have had a whole bunch of smaller plants that they were going to grow up to they, be they, larger plants they, that they were going to, you know, cut through and, you know, only pick the ripest ones. They define plants the way the Republicans define life, okay? It doesn't even need to have roots. The moment it's a cutting, it deserves no, to be alive. No, no, no. Once it has roots. Once it has roots. Once it has roots is the so, definition. So, I mean, look, a thousand plants could literally be ten little trays of baby exactly. clones, right? That's so what I'm like, saying. With roots. With roots, though. Well, I mean, again, back to the Republican definition of life. I mean, the moment that thing is put in rock wool, it's sacred and deserves to be protected. So, Once there's I, a I mean, heartbeat. the challenge that I have is separate from the from the proof they may have in this civil process it's it it is the kiss of death to stop a cultivation operation while these things work their way through that process that fact finding those consequences either for the individuals or for the entity and so i just i'm worried like my my heart goes out to the investors in what was it std i mean stj i mean st something right and like you know why would you stop a business because maybe if you people had made some bad judgment calls that business to me deserves to to continue to be as successful as it possibly can while it goes through that process um the other thing also is you know let's not forget that some of these track and trace systems are really complicated to navigate and that a lot of times entities the first place they skimp the first two places they skimp is in good legal and in good compliance uh uh either professionals or or contract uh, positions. And so I think about that. And then what really comes out for me, the saddest part of this is what you said about the lack of retail. And again, back to my thing about the replicatable mistakes that don't have to be replicated. If you have six or seven retail locations in a state or even in a, in a sub-market, you, you fucked up. You fucked up. Your entire program is fucked up if you only have six or seven retail locations, but you have 60 cultivation businesses. And so that in and of itself, to me, is 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 more troubling than the, than the potential bad actions of one one actor. I mean, they have a gross, gross, gross oversupply. Any any thoughts on this, Dr. T? Well, well you know, like I said, it, uh, Nick Bradley at the, you know, noted that a, a thousand flowering plants is about half a football field. I, I, I see mold and pesticide uh, and pests problems with that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so it, it, we can never go back to describing grows by stem count and should always be describing grows by square footage. I, I, so I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Totally with you on that. Yes, it should be all be defined by square footage and not antiquated plant counts. 
Yeah. And and we see those replicatable mistakes in, in, in newer markets like Missouri, which just came up with a micro license that limits some of those permit holders to 250 stems, which means that the smart ones will configure their cultivation according to the older methods of like California operators who really had to worry about stem count, but really anything defined by stems instead of square footage, it, 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 it's, it's not new thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, just so just so everyone knows, Gretchen did have a headline. I'm not sure where she's at. She must have got stuck on the hill somewhere. But she had a story that said GOP sponsor of marijuana banking bill to file new measure blocking the FDA from legalizing cannabis. So if you want to check that story out, head on over to our website, www.highat9news.com, and you can read it and check it out over there. And uh, I think we're going to wrap this up for the weekend. I want to thank you guys all for coming in today very much. Great, great dialogue, great information today. Two doctors on the stage today. Man, oh, man, we are really <laughs> lucky over here. But thank you all for getting high at 9 with us every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big thank you to our audience and supporters for tuning in on the daily and uh, trying to figure out, like we are, the insanity that is the ever-changing cannabis industry. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to all of our audience for tuning in through, through this, getting some little education. And thank you all to all of you, Yaro, Dr. Mark, and Dr. Talleyrand, uh, participating with us, sharing all of your information. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. It's America's number one daily cannabis news show.